Our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place when the Lord said through the prophet that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until after she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. God. Thank you, Cherry. Well, good morning. How are we doing? We doing good? Oh, you don't have to clap. That, that makes, that's awkward. That's weird. Um, I'm not that great. Um, but I am honored to be here. Uh, my name is Daniel uh, again, and, and I, I get the pleasure of serving at our Milwaukee campus, uh, which is called Hope City, um, which I'm waiting to be in Hope City and say good morning, New Hope, or to be at New Hope and say good morning, Hope City, because we've just got a lot of hope around here, which is good. And I think in the Christmas season, uh, peace and hope and joy and all of those things are, are a big part of what we get to look toward. Um, but man, do we need that in every situation and circumstance in our life. It's a, it's a huge honor, again, to be here with you guys and to just uh, be able to capture what God is doing firsthand in this community. Um, and I just want to say, if, if you're, maybe you're new here and you're checking New Hope out, or, or maybe you're newer and maybe this is your third week or fifth week or whatever, I can just say from the, from the minutes that I've been here, well, it's been a couple hours now, um, what I see about this community is a community who cares, a community who leans in toward one another, a community who desires relationship with Jesus, desires a wholehearted pursuit of Jesus. Maybe we won't do it perfect, but we're going to pursue him with our whole hearts. And it's a community who desires to be in relationship with one another, to be connected, to be plugged in, to know each other's story and to celebrate how God is working in the midst of that story. And I think that's one thing that's so beautiful about a Sunday morning. When we get to gather, we get to worship together. We get to pray together. We get to pray for one another. We get to pray for our city. We get to be encouraged by the word of God. And we also get to find connection with each other. I don't know about you, but I know that, that we walk in here oftentimes, we walk into a church service or a restaurant or work or whatever, uh, somewhere in the gamut of emotions between pain and joy, between excitement and, and, and lament, right? And we walk in here and, and depending on the moment we're in, we'll find ourselves anywhere on that sliding scale, uh, moment by moment, right? And, and yet, 
What is so powerful about coming together like this on a regular basis is all of those things I mentioned before, but it's also the ability and the opportunity to share hope and faith with one another. I'm not up here because you guys need me so badly. I'm here in this community because I need you so badly. We need one another. We need relationship with Jesus and we need relationship with one another. And so I just want to say if you're here today for the, for the first time or for the hundredth time, thank you for being here and being a part of someone's hope and faith and inspiration today. Uh, we exist to inspire one another to know, love, and follow Jesus. We want to know Jesus better, which causes us to fall more deeply in love with him and will cause us to make decisions to follow him more closely. And whether we've been a follower of Jesus for a couple of days or a hundred years, there's more for us to know, there's more for us to love, and there's more ways for us to take and make decisions to follow him closer. And we get to do that within the context of community. And uh, this morning is all about that. So may we be inspired uh, by one another. And may we even borrow one another's hope this morning as we just look at this, the story of the first Christmas and how it ought to influence the story of even our Christmas uh, this season. Uh, and I do want to say Merry Christmas. I love Christmas. This is one of my favorite times of year. Um, I love it for, for all of the reasons. I love it for the, the opportunity that we get to celebrate Advent, to celebrate Jesus, to celebrate his birth and the coming of God with us, Emmanuel. Uh, I also love the clutter, and I wouldn't say this any other time of year, but I love the clutter of Christmas decorations in my house, right? We've got scented candles, and we've got garland, and we've got gnomes, and we've got, I don't know why, but we have these stuffed gnomes. They're everywhere. Um, I, I just, it's the only time I love clutter, because Christmas clutter is joyful clutter. All other clutter makes me crazy, but um, I love the lights. I love lighting trees, hanging everything. I love the reason, the excuse to get together with family and friends and eat good food. And with Christmas, you know, and this season and even Advent, we we come to this season with anticipation, right? Uh, Celebrating Advent is identifying with the anticipation that the nation of Israel had for centuries of the coming of the Messiah, right? The coming of Jesus, there was this anticipation of what was to come. There was this waiting of, of the day when God would move in a significant, radical way, right? This anticipation of God coming near to us and being among us so that we could know him, so that he could know us. It just is this anticipation thing that we identify with. And, and as we come into Christmas, as we come into Advent season, we for sure are coming with some anticipation. We're, we can't wait for that day or that morning or that event or that, 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 that moment that we get with our family that will be so significant. We come to this season with expectation and that's kind of what our series is really talking about. As we look at the Christmas story, we're looking through the lens of greater expectations. And we come to Christmas with expectations, expectations of how that meal will go, what we will eat, what we won't have to eat, right? We come with expectations about who will be at the party and and, and maybe who won't be at the party. Uh, We come with this anticipation of how everything will go. And I think in the Christmas season, that, that expectation, that anticipation is highlighted, but I don't think it's unique only to Christmas, Right? We go into all kinds of spaces with expectations and anticipations. We walk into church with an expectation. We walk into the grocery store with expectation. We walk into family events anticipating how it will go. 
last night, my wife and I, uh, Brandy, we've been married since 2009. I don't like to do math on stage, so you can do the math yourself. Um, 2009 till now, uh, we have four kids, uh, almost 13, 11, nine, and almost five, boy, two boys, two girls. Our house is crazy, and it's awesome. Um, I grew up an only child, so it's completely foreign to me, but it's awesome. I keep telling myself the chaos is awesome. Um, but, uh, but last night, Brady and I got the chance to just kind of take off for about an hour and go on a date. And uh, we went to a restaurant with some expectations of how things would go, right? We ordered fondue, expecting that the bread would be fresh and not stale. We got stale bread, unmet expectations. We sat down and my wife took a drink of her water glass, expecting it to be a clean one, not expecting someone else's lipstick to be left on the glass. Like these are anticipations and expectations that we might have going into spaces. And when they're unmet, we all have a response. You just had a response. Oh my gosh, right? Yes, she took one drink before she noticed, but um, maybe I shouldn't have shared that part. Um, she's not here. So, uh, but, but we walk into spaces and into seasons with these expectations. And when they're unmet, we, 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 we quickly encounter disappointment. Right? We walk into that venue, we walk into that event, we walk into that space and we expect or anticipate one thing. We meet a completely different thing and we encounter disappointment. Unmet expectations almost always we find ourselves in disappointment. And subconsciously even unmet expectations can actually communicate failure. Failure on someone's part Right, we can, we can begin, we can encounter unmet expectations, dashed hopes and dreams, and we can begin to blame ourselves. I didn't do enough, I didn't work hard enough, I don't make enough money, I don't have enough time, I made the wrong decision, I'm not smart enough, I don't have the capacity or the power. We can begin to blame ourselves, or we can begin, or maybe and we begin to blame others. The server should have checked the glass, right? The, Cook should have checked the, the bread. That, that person should have checked their mouth at the door. That, whatever it is, right? We can encounter these things and begin to shift blame because unmet expectations often subconsciously communicate that someone failed. It may be me, it may be them, but someone's failure must be at fault for this conceived, this perceived catastrophe that I'm walking into right now. I had anticipation. I had expectations. They're not met. Somebody failed. Something's broken. It feels bad, so it must be bad. It feels uncomfortable, so something must be going incredibly wrong. It's uncomfortable now, so the future is a failure. But what if, what if in some circumstances, Maybe more often than not, unmet expectations aren't bad in the long run. What if unmet expectations aren't communicating a failure or aren't a threat? Maybe they're a threat to our plan and our idea, but are unmet expectations a threat or a failure in relationship to God's plan and what God's up to in our world? 
what God's up to in our life? Are our unmet expectations so significant that now the plan that God has for our life is thwarted or, or ruined or destroyed or now on the wrong path? I think sometimes we can assume that. And we assume that because we maybe assume that our expectations are the best case scenario. That the way I saw this going is the best way for it to go. It's the best way for things to turn out. And I think sometimes, at least for me, my expectations have to do with what's best for me. But often I failed to consider how things might be best for others or how things might be playing into God's greater story that my story is simply a part of. And as we look at this first Christmas, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna continue to look at these, these individuals who were a part of that first Christmas. And we'll see very quickly that, that the expectations they had for how things would go or should go, whether they're cultural expectations or personal expectations, at first looked as if they were doomed But then we look and we see that actually God was using those unexpected circumstances and events to bring about his greatest plan for the good of his glory and the good of others. And we're gonna be looking at this Christmas story through, through, uh, through the lens of, really through a gospel lens, through the lens of the fact that we know the end of the story, like we know how this all ends. And so we get to look back at Mary and we get to look back at Joseph and the shepherds and the magi and, and, and baby Jesus and all of these circumstances through the lens of the end of the story. And it's really fun to know the end of the story and to be able to look back and go, ah, the picture's clear. But in the midst of our story, we don't necessarily get to do that, but we can look through the lens of the gospel and not only in relationship to the first Christmas, but in relationship to this Christmas. And so we see uh, the gospel described, the good news of Jesus described through the Christmas story, but also through letters that church leaders wrote back to churches all through scripture. And this particular, um, this particular series, this particular Christmas season, we're looking back at the Christmas story through the lens of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in his letter titled Ephesians, Um, And we're gonna look at Ephesians chapter three real quick before we get to the story of Joseph uh, that Cherry read. We're gonna gonna get this perspective and this lens through um, Ephesians. And uh, this is Paul pointing back to the cross, right? To the implications of Jesus, not only birth, but his life, his death, and his resurrection. Ephesians three, verse 14, starts like this. Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. We've already gotta stop. What reason, Paul? What reason are you kneeling before the God in heaven? Well, he's, he's, he's launching into an explanation after he shared with the Jews in Ephesus that the Gentiles, non-Jew people, are being invited into this gospel-centered community. That, that those who, are, who were formerly considered outsiders are now being invited into the fullness of participation in the community of Jesus' followers. The Gentiles are being added to the community, and this would have been very unexpected in many ways for, this, for, for the Jewish people. They're used to being the nation that was singly chosen to demonstrate God's goodness on the earth, and now, post-cross and resurrection, all people of all nations are being invited in. 
And Paul says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. In other words, all people from, come from God. All people of all nations come from God. Not just one nation, but all people. He continues, verse 16. says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. Notice that Paul emphasizes that God is the one who's rich in glory, not us. That it's his strength that is the power behind everything. That it's his strength that we move through, not ours. And then he says it's his spirit in your inner being. We just sang some songs about the Holy Spirit, not only coming down, but indwelling us and overflowing out of us. He continues you know, that, that, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may grow, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. We can't run out of more to know about the love of God. It surpasses our own understanding. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That we would be filled with the fullness of God. Paul is inviting us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To gather together like we are today and like we do on a regular basis to be together, to be established in a love that is beyond comprehension, that's beyond our ability to fully know and fully understand, and as a community to be surrendered to Jesus. And now my, my favorite part of this portion of scripture comes in verse 20, where Paul says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. Paul highlights that God can and does do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine. That even our greatest expectations pale in comparison to God's ability to exceed them. It pales in comparison. Our ideas, our imaginings, our vision for what ought to be and could be in our city, in our nation, in our family, and this Christmas isn't as great as God's vision and his mission that he's working out through us. And that when his power collides with this temporary world, he will get the glory. He will be glorified because when his power collides with this temporary world, undeniable things happen in our hearts and in our minds and around us. They will be undeniable, but they will be unexplainable outside of God interacting with this temporary world. And how does God do immeasurably more? Well, well Paul says in this very verse right here, says according to what? According to his power, not yours, not my power, and, and for, the, for the, the part of me that wants to control things, that's why I don't like clutter, <laughs> this actually isn't comforting. 
my humanity wants to control everything. My, my humanity wants it to be about my ability to muster enough strength to get something done. But Paul says it's not by your power, it's not by your strength. He says it over and over. He says it's his power that is at work within who? Within us, within his people. It's his power at work within me, overflowing out of me. It's his power at work within you, within us as a community, within you as an individual, that it's his work his power at work within us. It's God's power working through God's people. And as we look through the scriptures from front to back, it's filled with the stories of God's undeniable, unexplainable power, working itself out through the simplest, most unexpected of people and circumstances. Men and women alike, God uses and, and, and works within them and out of them to accomplish his beautiful work. The restoration of all people and all things is the work that Jesus is about and it's his power within you and me that he's working it through. It's been God's strategy from the very beginning that he would work through people to accomplish his perfect will. And all of these stories, all of these interactions, all that said in scripture is really pointing to the day that God would step out of heaven and onto earth and become a person. To live a perfect, sinless life, to die an undeserved death, to cover our sin, past, present, and future, and to be resurrected from the grave so that not only would sin and, and death be conquered, but new life would be made available to those who would trust and believe and follow him. And he does this, and scripture points, whether it's pointing forward to the day that the Messiah would come, or pointing back through the lens of the cross at the day when the Messiah would come, live, die, and be resurrected. All of scripture points to Emmanuel, God with us. And even in the midst of the story of how that happened, God uses the unexpected to bring about something greater than anyone could have imagined. And that's when we come to the Christmas story. That's how, that's the lens through which we look at Joseph's circumstances this morning. We're looking at, at his story and, and kind of his role in this master plan that God has to redeem all of creation. And, and uh, we're going we're gonna to go back through, Cherry already read it, but we're going to go back through Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25. And we'll notice that Joseph is pledged to be married to Mary. He's, he's engaged to Mary. And I don't know if you've ever been engaged or you've been around someone who's engaged. There's a lot of excitement there. There's a lot of hopes and dreams of what the future will look like. And then we often put the ring on and those hopes and dreams turn into expectations that we're placing on someone else. And the rest of life is navigating those things, right? You've got to imagine like Joseph is not some, some sterile character in a narrative. He's a human who walked through the emotions, the full gamut of where he's at in life, right? He's pledged to be married. He's excited about the days to come. He's probably nervous. He's probably got tons of hopes and dreams. He's probably got tons of questions about how it will work out. And in this story, we encounter Joseph learning of some news that causes him to slow down and causes maybe even his hopes and dreams and expectations of how things ought to go to be crushed, to be dashed, and we see him respond to that. So let's, 
Let's look at this story. Again, Matthew chapter one, we're gonna start in verse 18 and it says this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, even as we read that portion, we can get kind of quickly confused. We're like, wait, he was pledged to be married. They're engaged, and now he wants a divorce? Like, wait, how do you divorce someone that you're just engaged to? Don't you just call it off or break up? Well, engagement then is a little bit different than the context today. Engagement today is an agreement between two people that on this date in the near future, we are going to commit our lives to, to, to one another for the rest of our lives. We're going to commit to that. And it's an agreement that is really, it's significant and super important, but there's no legality involved until you sign on the dotted line that day, right? Well, in, in this context, Joseph and Mary are pledged to be married, and it is kind of a binding contract that they've made, and the only way to get out of it is to legally file for a divorce and legally go through that situation. And we see that Joseph finds out some news that Mary is pregnant, and he's going, there's no way that this child is mine because of some you know, basic biological things that we don't need to get into this morning. But um, he knows there's no possible way that this child is mine. And it seems as though he may know the story of Mary saying, hey, an angel came to me and said this was going to happen. And Joseph is like, I respectfully disagree that that's what happened. <laughs> so he's trying to get out because his expectations have been dashed. He's not sure what the future holds. And so he seems to believe that Mary has been unfaithful. And so he moves in the direction to step away from this agreement to divorce her. His expectations have been crushed, but even in the midst of that disappointment, even in the midst of confusion, even in the midst of plenty of emotions, it seems that Joseph made some selfless decisions. Notice that uh, the, the author Matthew highlights that Joseph was faithful to the law. And in this context, Joseph could have brought the full measure of the law against Mary. The full measure of the law would have, would have given Joseph permission to expose her, to disgrace her publicly, to make this a big ordeal and to, to totally strip Mary of any future credibility in her community. But Joseph makes a decision. It says there that he didn't want to expose her or disgrace her. So he wanted to divorce her quietly. He didn't leverage the full extent of the law against her. And this is kind of a big deal. I think it's a big deal. In our culture today, if someone crosses you, if someone says something negative about you, like it's real easy for us to justify pulling out our phones and starting to type some post, whether we tag them in or not, and just put them on blast and announce how horrible this person in our life is and how much they've hurt us. Like we, we, we could bring the full measure of the law against someone who's crossed us or, or, or come against us. And outside of an angel revealing some greater expectation, we feel like that's okay. And even Joseph, even Joseph is saying, man, I don't want to do that. This, is, this still is not about me. He doesn't bring the full measure of the law. It would seem as though Mary was unfaithful, but Joseph still seeks to humble himself and protect Mary. 
In the very next verse, verse 20, it says, after he had considered this, and I even want to pause there, because the word considered there is often translated ponder as well. It can be translated that. And kind of what this, the, the connotation behind this Greek word is to reflect and to focus on all of your internal thoughts, your deliberations, your disputes, the arguments of your mind. I don't know about you, but like, that's not my first uh, reaction when I'm frustrated, to ponder and to think about all my internal battles. Like, no, I just want to respond. <laughs> like, I want to respond in my emotion. But Joseph slowed down. He thought about it. He combed through the details. He analyzed the situation. He anticipated the possible outcomes. He thought long and hard. It seems that he spent some serious time thinking through all of his options forward. But even in thinking clearly, even in thinking carefully rather, he didn't get the godly clarity that he needed for how he was being called to move forward. And I'm not saying we shouldn't ponder. I'm actually really encouraging that we would, when we, when we walk into situations like that, that, that we would slow down enough to recognize our emotions, figure out what they're telling us, think about our way forward, think about a way forward through the lens of, 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 of Jesus, through the lens of the gospel. But I am saying that it seems as though our own knowledge isn't enough that there's often more going on in the story of God than we can see or understand ourselves. What we need when we walk into unexpected circumstances and situations is to invite God to speak. To invite God to speak into that unmet expectation in our life. The verse continues, it says, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, same language that Mary got, right? She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph would have recognized some of this language from the ancient text that, they were, that he would have studied as a boy that he would have studied about the coming of the Messiah. This was, this was familiar language for him. And I think we even see, I love how the angel just addresses him. He says, do not be afraid. Because the reality is, even after we ponder our circumstances and our life situations, we may still fear the outcome. And even when God brings clarity, we may still fear the outcome. And we will be tempted in those moments to devise our own plan out, our own plan of escape, our own plan forward. In these unexpected circumstances, we will try to meet our own expectations our own way. And that can be dangerous. But we see these unexpected moments as threats, but what if, as I said before, they're actually opportunities? What if when we see unmet expectations, we ask God what he's bringing about to accomplish a greater good? See, God works in ways we don't expect, through people we don't expect, to bring about things that far exceed even our greatest expectations. And God certainly speaks into Joseph's situation. Continues in verse 22, 
The angel continues and said, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God in the flesh, working through humanity to bring about the restoration of all creation. This is the climax of scripture in so many ways. And Joseph, in this moment, is invited to participate in God's incredible work. And we are invited to participate in the work that God is doing in our world right now, the restoration of all things. Joseph found himself in an unexpected circumstance. And in the midst of that, he hears from the Lord. And what, what, what he hears next, what he's already heard, is in alignment with, with, with what God had already said. And that's highlighted in these last couple of verses. Verse 24 says, when Joseph woke up, says he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. Joseph started off expecting the very worst. But after God spoke, he was able to see that God had something bigger in mind than Joseph could ever have imagined. Now, all of us kind of walk in, again, to unexpected situations. And I think sometimes our effort or our plan is to get out of those circumstances, to be free from discomfort. And sometimes I think if that's our first reaction and we don't invite God to speak into where we are, we'll miss what God is up to. I think other times, this is just a, this is a disclaimer. I think other times we find ourselves in situations that, are, that, are, that, that don't meet our expectations and they're unsafe for us. They're unsafe for us to be in. They're not circumstances that God would call his people to stay in forever. And so there are some circumstances where we need to get ourselves out of. Situations of abuse, situations of, 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 of where we are in, where we're in a threat Um, where we are unsafe. But discomfort isn't always unsafe. And if we're running from discomfort, we may miss what God is calling us to walk through. We may miss what God wants to do in our midst. So what do we do when we encounter unmet expectations? What do we do when we walk into those situations where they're less than ideal? or where we can't see our way through to the other side. I think we're invited to do more than simply ponder. I think we're invited to do more than simply rely on our own understanding or our own reason. I think we're actually invited to invite the Lord to speak his purpose and his plan into our unmet expectations. And so as we think about just the different things going on this season, maybe you're even thinking about, um, maybe you are, you're about to walk into a scenario where you actually expect the worst. What if God wants to work in the midst of that? I know holidays bring that up. I've got expectations for how Christmas would go. I had expectations for how Thanksgiving would go. <laughs> and things didn't go so well Thanksgiving for me. <laughs> or for our family, and sometimes that influences, if you know Thanksgiving didn't go as planned, man, you start to really worry about how Christmas is gonna go, right? 
But what is God up to in the midst of that? How is God calling us to walk into the mess rather than walk away from it? To walk into messy circumstances and situations rather than avoid them because God's plan and purpose may be found in the mess. In fact, I think it's in the messiest of situations that we can see God work in powerful, incredible ways, immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. We're invited to allow, to, to, to ask God to speak into our circumstances. So what if we learn to listen? What if we learned to pay closer attention to what God has already said throughout the history of creation? And what if we learn to pay more attention to how God has already spoken through the history and the stories of our lives, what he's done in the past to get us here, how he's been faithful in the past, which gives us the strength to trust that he will continue to be faithful in our future. How do we listen to him? How do we hear him? And I think that's the biggest question, right? Like, okay, I wanna invite God to speak into my life, but, but how do I hear him? Does it have to be audible? Because I've never had that happen. Does it, what does it look like? How do I hear him? Or better yet, more specifically, how does God speak? How does this God who is outside of our dimension, who's outside of time, how does he interact with us inside of time? And I think if we look at Joseph's story, we see God speak, I think in two very distinctive ways. One is very clear, the other, if we read too quickly, we can skip right over it. But there's, there's two ways God speaks to Joseph. I think there's more ways that God speaks to us, but we'll look at Joseph's story first. The first way that God speaks is supernaturally. It's, it's undeniable, but it's unexplainable, right? Supernaturally, in a dream, uh, an angel comes to Joseph and starts to speak. And there's many instances like this through the story of that first Christmas and all through Scripture. And you'll even hear people sometimes talk about this kind of way that God speaks supernaturally. Maybe an audible voice or a vision or a dream or a moment or a scenario that you just can't quite explain through healing, through all of these things. God still speaks supernaturally. But God rarely, if ever, speaks in just one way. And even in this story, what's loudest is the way that God speaks supernaturally. But what's true is God also speaks to Joseph through scripture. God speaks to Joseph through what he'd already spoken, through prophecies, through scripture, through God's word. Joseph's dream and vision lined up with what God had already said and what God had already done. That's why we call this the living word of God because God still speaks to us through this text. He still speaks through it and all things that are said must be in alignment with what God has already said. He set a plan in motion. He didn't change his mind. He still loves all of us and invites us to be in relationship with him. That'll be true. It was true yesterday. It's true today. It'll be true forever. So God speaks supernaturally. God speaks through scripture. And he does that with Joseph, he does that with us. God also speaks through people, the people in our lives, those who love Jesus and who love us. This is where we often get affirmation for what God is kind of impressing on our hearts. It's where we get confirmation for that. It's where, it's where we get to be a community of people who calls out God's giftings in each other, where we get to encourage one another. 
Because God speaks through people who love Jesus and who love us, and we have the opportunity not only in the context of community to receive that from others, but to be a part of extending it to others as well. So he speaks supernaturally, he speaks through scripture, he speaks through people, and God speaks through our experiences or our stories. I think often we don't see how God speaks through our lives until we pause and ponder for a bit, until we reflect on how we got to where we are, until we look back at our story and ask ourselves, how has God been with me from the beginning? And that's true whether you grew up in church or not. For me, I grew up in church and that's just where I went. I was in church every Sunday growing up. I had a season of years where I wandered far from trusting Jesus. And it was even as I look back at those years of addiction and and pain and suffering that I mostly imposed on myself, I see that God was present with me the whole time. And we can look back and see God's faithfulness in the past. And it can inform our trust in his faithfulness for the future. So God speaks these, through these four ways. He speaks supernaturally. He speaks through scripture. He speaks through people who, who love Jesus and who love us. And he speaks through our experiences and through our stories. And again, he rarely speaks just through one of those ways. In fact, I think most often he speaks through all four. Through the people around you, through the things that he's doing in your life, the ways he's impressing things on your heart, through what we read in scripture and through what we're experiencing today and have experienced in the past. He speaks through all four. So, So how are we paying attention to what God is speaking to us now? I think in the chaos and the busyness of life, let alone this season, we can fail to set aside some time to ask for advice from those who love us and who love Jesus. We can fail to set aside some time to to read scripture and ask God, what are you saying to me now? We can fail to listen to that still small voice that impression that God's putting on our hearts, we can fail to reflect on the experiences and God's faithfulness in the past to fuel our trust in him for the future. So as we're in this season, I wanna invite us to invite God to speak into our circumstances. What would it look like for us to do that? What would it look like for us to invite God to speak into circumstances that at first glance signal unmet expectations, but through the filter of God's purpose and plan may look like God's greatest work? What would it look like if we leaned into into, God's goodness rather than our initial ponderings? What if we allowed God to frame our perspective of that family member that situation, that neighbor, all of the things that we encounter that we, we simply just see the gap between what we hoped for and what's real? What if instead of grabbing for control in ways that we can fill that gap, we allowed the Holy Spirit to lead us, to guide us, to comfort us, and to inform us this season? I think we might find that God can 
in fact, do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. That even our greatest expectations for a person or a situation pale in comparison to the way that God desires for the outcome to come about. And we may lean into hard things and see the glory and the goodness of God shine bright through the messiest of circumstances. So may we invite God, may we pause long enough to listen, to hear, and to trust in him. Let me pray for us. God, we love you. God, we honor you. God, we look to you for all things. God, this world will consistently fall short of the desire that we have that you placed in the human heart for wholeness and restoration. God, for all things to be made right. God, it's your kingdom, not the kingdom of this world that's marked with justice and with mercy and with grace. So God, as you invite us to participate in the building of your kingdom, Lord, may we release the expectations that we have for our kingdom. God, may we trust your faithfulness and your goodness in all things. God, may we have the clarity that comes from hearing from you as we pause as we slow down, as we listen, as we seek your face. God, may you give us clarity. And Lord, would you give us courage, humble courage, courageous humility to step toward the mess that you may be calling us into. Not with arrogance that that we know how to fix it, but God, with humility that you and your great and mighty power is at work within your people to accomplish your great will. So Lord, we surrender to you this morning. We surrender our expectations and we grab hold of your greater ones this Christmas. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.